everyone. So glad you found us on The Map, the mental health and addiction podcast. I'm Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my partners in crime, the magnificent Andy Panda Bernstein. <laughs> and my, Ohi- my Ohio salute. How good is that music? <laughs> how good is that music, by the way? It's rocking. Uh huh. Right? Okay. Yeah, I love it's it. Stuck in your head. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we I go to the grocery store, I hear it. Do you? <laughs> yeah, that's my cue. That's my walk. My my walk up song. They're trying to. They're trying to steal our thunder. You yeah. totally and interrupted we, her introduction. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. Again, I'm it's sorry. all about you. It is all about. Me. I'm sorry, Kimberly. Where are you? I can't. No, it's, Chris. It's okay. I was trying to get. Okay. I was getting to Chris. I'm sitting at it's my summer home. house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, look at you go. Um, that's Kristen Perry Long, you guys. Um, so just a quick background on us. Um, Chris Long has been in the industry for many years, uh, working with families and helping people get into treatment. Um, Andy has been an advocate for mental health and addiction um, as the producer for Crosscheck Radio and through his own experiences. As for me, I'm a person in long-term recovery and the founder of a sober home for women called Brady's Landing. So we put this podcast together because all three of us are passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. We believe that the more light we shed on these topics, the less people will stigmatize and punish those who suffer from mental illness and addiction. We hope this information will provide uh, you with um, the necessary sorry, this is what you need to reach out for help. And um, we hope that will encourage people to seek treatment. So thanks to FCA TV, Foxborough Cable Access, we now have the ability to take your questions live during the show. Also, we have all of our episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So please post and share the show with your followers and don't forget to tag your friends. All right, guys, we're going back to old school on this, on today's show, right? We're gonna yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna chit chat, but we gotta uh, give a state of the state before we get. Let's do our state of the state. We'll start right. with uh, we'll start with Andy. I'm good. Somebody keeps banging on their thing, but uh, tapping. I don't know. Tap tap tappy. Um, I uh, I'm okay. Pretty good. Feeling good. Okay. Feeling good. I uh, lots going on. A little crazy town, USA, right now with all the. Uh, stuff but uh yeah this is what it is right now so roll with it (laughs) so what is it what are what is it we're rolling with we're rolling with the opening of of the world and then we're rolling with um the protests which have seemed to die down a little bit on the news it's they're still happening but i don't think that they are as prevalent as they were a few days ago. So now restaurants are opening and they're talking about people that are, you know, they're interviewing people that are like, you would think that we had the way people are like so excited to be able to go out and sit outside and and eat in a restaurant. You would think that they've been really locked up for a year. (laughs) I I, I know people are like, Oh, it's so great. And it is, it's great. I'm not knocking it, but I'm really worried about, those restaurants that don't have that frontage to be able to you know, oh, yeah. open. There's so many of them. I, you know what? There's a, there's a place in my town um, that I won't go to. I haven't been, I haven't stepped foot in that place in 10 years because you really have to know somebody to be able to get service. Otherwise. I you know what like, you're talking about. You probably do. Well, guess what? They have an outdoor seating now. What? They might actually really be benefit. They really may benefit from this. Like this could really take them to a whole new level. They close off their parking lot. They build a big tent. People are lined up. Uh, you know, it's packed, right? Good for them, right? Yeah. Like they might actually, that actually might be the impetus for change that will get them to grow as a business. You don't what know. happens in the winter when they can't bring people back in because we have that spike that they keep talking about? Like it's well, going to ebb going. and flow and ebb and flow and ebb. And, like it's I'm not just, going. I'm not going if they open back up and I have to go inside. I mean, the other big thing <laughs> is, is like they keep releasing all these guidelines for, for I was t- texting you yesterday, Kimberly, about people that have rental properties. Like it's a 35 page manual about if you own a rental property, you have to do 
these 700 things in between each turnover? Or how about the fact that when kids go back to school, there's only gonna be 10 kids in a classroom? Like if there's just so much uncertainty, as, my, as soon as we sort of get some positive, they sort of take it away with a, with a fear of the unknown. Always fear-based, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, they, they it's, thrive on that. It's getting it's, old. Yeah, it's kind of like what you said before, Chris, about, hey, why don't we start the newscast with something positive or either end with something positive or inspirational? But then, you know, like, like we found out, it won't sell. It won't, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not glamorous enough or no, shocking it's enough. Like, that's nice. Human interest stories. Yay. Yay. Okay. <laughs> you know? It's like a bit obligatory now, you know? Oh. At the end of the news. And then finally tonight, yeah. there was a bird that was rescued out of a tree <laughs> and ba ba ba. And. <laughs> You and know. it died anyway, but and, yeah. you know, we rescued it. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. The doesn't attract there. doesn't attract people. I have a good story. Oh, first of all, how are you, Kimberly? Oh, good. Good. Um, I have a few good stories too that um I was researching the um emotional support animals, and I just there's so many really, really uplifting stories there. It's just unbelievable. I love it. I love it. I can't wait till we get to it. I, all right, so so there's an actually a story that came out from of all places twin falls iowa <laughs> and um it was the news station kmtv in in twin falls iowa and uh the story animals have the ability to transmit peace love and joy into our everyday lives so that they can be tremendously helpful to those who battle with mental and emotional distress and it is proven, it comes from a study from BMC Psychiatry, um, which is a peer-reviewed journal. And they say- Is that Boston Medical? You said BMC, know. right? I don't know. I don't know. We'll look it up. It could be. Sure. It's BMC. Let's say it's BMC. We'll go with that. Let's go. We're going to roll with that. All right. And they say emotional support animals help with alleviating worry. They provide comfort and they mitigate against feeling of isolation and loneliness, which can truly improve symptoms of mental health conditions. So this station also um, contacted the Behavioral Health Division, and this gentleman named Scott Rasson, uh, Rasmussen said, animals provide support to individuals who typically struggle with elevated anxiety. Um, and the treatment provides them a letter suggesting that animals would provide some benefit to their condition they've been diagnosed with. But, and, and so a person in need of an emotional support animal is actually protected by the federal government to live with and fly with their animal free of charge because their emotional and mental state is considered a disability, but it has to be done with a diagnosis by a doctor and you can't abuse the law because not only if you abuse the law, but it's also misusing the animal. So they're saying you got to find the right animal to do this um, and not have an animal that it tends to high towards uh, high anxiety themselves wouldn't obviously work in, in calming. So um, it has to match their physical environment, their activity level and experience now. So these, but here's the big misnomer. These are different than service animals. Because with an emotional support animal, you do not have to have training, um, specific animal training to qualify, except right. that the animal is healthy, safe to others, and well-tempered. And really, the vet is the one who can uh, determine that. So that qualification, so those qualifications and the letter. And the letter, right. They need the letter. Right. Set you up. So bottom line, find the right animal. Uh, if you're struggling with mental health, find the right animal and our furry friends can help your state of mind. So as <laughs> so, animal lovers, turn ahead, over Chris. what do you guys so, think? Last week, um, a, man, a guy that I used to work with who now works for a different treatment facility announced that emotional support animals are welcome um, in their treatment center. And you'd be surprised. I've had a handful of calls um, of people saying, I need to take my dog with me to treatment. And, you know, yeah. initially they're, they're not, but um, it's actually called Recovery Unplugged. It's, um, they have multiple locations. Um, 
Richie Supa and um, Richie. Yeah, Richie Supa and um, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. He's got the long hair. He's he used to. He's in recovery. Um, that narrows it down. You described. <laughs> I know. Right? He's really skinny. Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a complaint. Oh, uh, you are really <laughs> narrowing the filter. <laughs> he's skinny. I don't know long anybody hair. like that. Dr. Barry, do not do not PM me because I can't remember who it is, but I will eventually, and I'll be like, oh, it's so and so. Um, but anyway, they are they they have a great program, and they have um one of the things that they do is it's called Feel Good Friday, and on Fridays they they community gathers at the center and Richie Supa and the band plays music and part of the curriculum at recovery unplug is they teach people how to, to write music. And it's really cool. cool. It's, it's part of, it's oh. just, you know, it's a niche. It's, it's a like niche. Right rock to recovery, right? Isn't that rock to recovery, Chris? No, it's recovery unplugged. Recovery unplugged. Okay. So there's another That's one that does look. that it's rock yeah. to recovery. And uh, they do the same thing. They go to treatment centers and it was started by the guitarist from corn uh, and they go to treatment centers and actually help them write music. And then they put it on SoundCloud, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah Rich, cool. Uh, what's his name? Woody. Woody. Uh, Eastman. Yeah. Has Hesley. the uh, right turn. Yep. Right turn. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, these therapies are so important to have that, um, you know, as dog lovers and animal lovers, um, yeah. you know, how, how, I mean, obviously we know about. Brady. I got it. Steven Tyler. There you go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, how is dog, you know, what, what is it about animals that, you know, you think that really builds that connection? They say oxytocin, the connection. Well, yeah. It's like unconditional love, I think is part of it. (laughs) Right. In the presence of, in the presence of animals, like even with a half of an hour, of being with an animal, they've, they've, there's been study after study where they show people's blood pressure actually comes down. Um, they're, they're, they can help people in comas have even shown that they're, they get brain, normal brain activity when an animal is just present, they're in a coma, but the animal's there and it's just something that calms them down. They're um, beautiful it, souls, aren't they? They, they are, they are, they're so innocent. And so, um, and it's just fish so, tanks do that too. Fish tanks. If you get a fish tank, Hmm. those cuddly fish my fish would die if i had fish they'd die they'd all be at the bottom of the no but if you have a fish tank and you stare at like a fish tank or you have it in the background or you have it in your room the sound of the water and Mm -hmm. just washing the fish is very relaxing yes yeah it's really good and it's a lot cheaper than a dog if you can't afford a dog so anyway check out the article it's on uh, kmvt.com and it's called a closer look at how emotional support animals can help with mental health. And if our friend Chris would be so, or Kimberly would be so kind as to put that up there on our site. Yeah, sure. On Absolutely. our Facebook page. Okay. Our Facebook right. page. I don't want to be bossy. But Go for you, it. You're the best right. boss ever. Thank you. Love you. Mean it. All right. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Chris. Moving swiftly along. <laughs> moving, moving on. Um, Chris has a topic that you want to discuss. Yeah, I think that it would be really appropriate to um, talk about the stages of change. Um, you know, I think it's um, it's important, especially as uh, you know, people have been able to stay, maybe maybe have been able to stay sober or not stay sober. And now we're kind of going into this next phase of coming out of COVID, um, you know, and things are going to be changing and overwhelming and new guidelines. And, you know, maybe they will have, you know, people meetings, but then there's going to only be allowed so many people. And, you know, there's doors might be continue to be closed to you. Um, and the stages of changes are basically, you know, the pre-contemplation, contemplation, determination, action, maintenance, and um, reoccurrence. So I think um, we should like break it down and talk about each stage um, and how, like, you know, Kimberly, how for you being in recovery, how do you deal with each of these stages? Um, I know, like, when you're about to be in active addiction, none of this means anything. 
but for somebody or a caregiver, it's something that's, you know, a wealth of knowledge and um, we might be able to redirect our loved ones, um, having a better understanding about, you know, what's coming down the road. Exactly. Exactly, Chris. And that's ex- when we, we learned about this in the Recovery Coach Academy. It's it's you meet people where they're at. So you're not going to come up to someone who's just about, you know, they're in active addiction, but they're contemplating. They're, maybe they're pre-contemplating getting help. Like they're not quite sure I'm an addict or, or an alcoholic, but um, maybe, maybe I'll look at this someday. You're not going to come at them with brochures and pamphlets and here's the recovery uh, treatment center you should go to. This is what, you know, they're not, they're, you'll scare them. So, you know, at that point, you just kind of want to start a conversation. So what do you think about this? And you kind of want to, you know, massage them into a, a more solid idea of getting them to the next stage, getting them to contemplation. Then from there, getting them to preparation. Okay, now we've, we've identified the issue. Now it's time to uh, get prepared and get prepared to go into treatment. That's the best route for them. So in pre, pre-contemplation, yep, in pre-contemplation, pre-contemplation, right? It says not yet considering change is unwilling or unable to change. Primary task is raising awareness. Right. So, exactly. You know, we have um, we have Tommy, right? And Tommy has been using and in and out of detox, and Tommy's getting his stimulus every single week, and Tommy doesn't need to work because Tommy has a safe place to stay. Tommy can afford, you know, a a hotel 60 bucks a night because he's getting, how do we, how do we address pre-contemplation with Tommy? Um, Well, I would actually start just, he's already got it made, right? So he's already, um, he doesn't need to change. He doesn't want to change. So you would, for me, I would identify uh, the things that his using have caused him, identify the repercussions. Um, okay, so what, you know, kind of know what, there, there is no benefit except, you know, the the sheer high of it. But once you get that first one, you're chasing the dragon anyway. So you need to go to, you know, identify the, the issues that he's having as a result of his using. Then well, you can kind of go from there. Well, my thought was, you know, modeling, right? So if I... Say I'm Tommy. Do you think that if I see people who are successful or who have overcome this and I'm able to see them and say, oh, wow, if that person can do it, then that becomes almost attainable to me. Like if I'm watching that person and it's like, you know, I get to know that person, almost like kind of aspiring to be that or modeling, saying if you can do this in your life, why can't I do it in mine? Right. Well, that's yeah. No, that's true. Except for they don't. You generally identify with that person because if they don't think they have a problem, if they don't think that there is an issue, they can't. They're not going to identify with that person. But they, right. But, but even if you so, but just say for the sake of argument, you're like been struggling, and you're like, I'm kind of lost. So I use drugs for whatever reason, and um, but I want to get it out of it, and I don't really even know how to to do it. I don't even know how to begin to do it. Right. I know that I'm not happy in my life. Right. Sure. But sure. I don't know how to point it, put a to B. like, it's almost like if I can make it attainable and I can see it and I visualize it, maybe I can say, all right, well, this is the path I want to live on. I don't want to live on that path. Sure. So you see, so you'd actually be past pre-contemplation. I think you'd, that would put you into more of contemplation. Right. So contemplation, let's define them as we get into each of them. So contemplation is uh, sees the probability of change, but is ambivalent to uncertain. For whatever reason, my glasses are not working anymore. Um, So our primary task is resolving ambivalence and helping to choose change. Right. So Having that goal, having that role model, having that person, I want to be just like them. That's, that's, a, that's a great goal. But in this stage, it's not something that they're even, it, it's the end game. That would be kind of their end game goal. You know, I really? want to be like them. Yeah, absolutely. That wouldn't be the like, impetus. That wouldn't be an impetus like to say, what am I doing here? I see other people being successful or people I know getting in recovery. It's like, why can't I? Why can't that be the thing that sparks the change? 
it, it absolutely can be the, the, the thing that sparks. But if you set an unachievable goal, you're setting yourself up for, for failure. So say, okay. you know, say your person has 15 years clean, right? Right. He didn't, he didn't fall down. I mean, he fell down and got up many times probably okay. before he got those got 15 it. years. So if you're, you know, we're going to just try to get through today. Let's just get through got today. It. And then okay. when we today, today behind us, we'll get through tomorrow. And before you know it, you'll have a little bit of time behind you. You'll start to feel good. You'll start to have that clarity. You'll start to be able to see the work that you need to do in order to get to that 15 years. But it's it. seeing the yeah yeah and seeing the mentors too, seeing people who have actually achieved it. That helps in also in maintenance, um, keeping them on the right track too. Because they said, "Oh, look, if that person can do it, you know." Because you do, like Chris said, you do stumble a little. You know, sometimes you every day is not you know all sunshine and rainbows. It's um, you know it's hard work to get. Right. Sober, you know, it's not easy. So, yeah, having inspirational um, mentors, people that you can aspire to be like, and they came from, say, like a rags to riches, not really rags to riches, but from down, you know, a low point in their life to, you know, becoming very successful and very um, happy with their lives. Something you definitely want to incorporate. Right. That's absolutely. Um, so then we go into determination. Kim, you want to read? Do you have it up on your thing? I don't have that up. Um, so de determination, definition, is committed to change, still considering what to do. Primary task, help identify appropriate change strategies, right? So again, we are making them achievable. We're not yes. saying, okay, you get clean, you get a job, you get a house. No, 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 no. no, no. Like, let's just get through. Small today. pieces. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and that's where you want to say, hey, instead of, you know, you want to ask them because they're going to give you the answers. It's like motivational interviewing. You ask them, so what do you think might be a better, you know, if this is causing you grief, what what options are there for uh, that you could choose in a different direction? And then they will identify for you things that they enjoy doing. Okay, so I, I like being around people. Maybe you should try, you know, a meeting or what, you know, whatever the case may be. But they will tell you. And that's kind of what you you kind of cling on to that and then go, you know, go you from build there. off of it. Right. You exactly. build off of it. You, it's not something that you can do, you know, in one day. It's, it, it takes a little bit of time because you might go back, you know, you might go back a stage, you might go back two stages mm -hmm. and then you might, you know, advance again, but you're still go. you have to still go through every stage. You multiple times. You might have to do Correct. it multiple times, right? You can't Correct. just, Right. Yeah, it's it's really really hard. I mean, I think you know the the primary um, primary task task of determination is kind of restoring hope. Um, you know, when somebody is is at that crossroad and and they're they're scared or their family has washed their hands of them and now they're really out on that that pier alone. Um, you know, restore that hope. You know, one of my most favorite questions to ask somebody when they're kind of in this stage is, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? They could be 55 years old. Sure. <laughs> but what do you want? To, and, and they don't know how to answer it sometimes. And they look at you like you're crazy and I'm absolutely certifiable. But what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and you start to, to retrain the brain to think a different way. Um, and it takes a lot. You have to keep you know, you got to keep turning that toe out. You got to keep, keep being mindful of, of, of change. So restoring hope is, um, you know, is a really, it's a big task, but once they kind of bite into that and, and they start to feel good about themselves little by little, you know, we start going into the, the action stage. I'm, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. And, um, I love Bruce and Bruce had a concert um, a couple years ago. He did a whole tour on the river tour and this was um, Bruce suffers with depression um, and sadness, loneliness. You wouldn't think cause he's Bruce Springsteen, but he does. And at the concert, when he introduced the, you know, when he started the show, he said, look, I was lost. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. I wanted a family. I couldn't, I couldn't get it. So I started writing about it. He said, because if I could write about it, 
then I could see it. And then I thought I'd be, it would be more attainable to me. He wanted community. He wanted to be a part of something. So we started writing about what he was looking for. And that gave him kind of a roadmap, the map to, to getting, um, to moving forward. So almost that visual, um, you know, kind of having that visual, like I see where I want to go. And this applies to everybody, not even just in recovery. This applies to anyone who wants that, um, the ability to, um, you know, change, change path by writing it down, purging your thoughts, creating a, a game plan for yourself. That's just my opinion. Journaling. It's a good tactic. Absolutely. Journaling is good for anyone, anyone. It's, it's a release. It's a way to really be able to get those emotions, you know, down when I'm working with a family and their loved one goes into treatment, whether it be detox or the next level or whatever, I always tell my families to write a letter, write a letter to your, to your loved one. I want you to tell them how you feel. I want you, you to, to tell send them. it. <laughs> well, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You don't have to send but, it. You don't even have but, to send it. But you'll be surprised. So what I say is I'm like, you, I want you to write it. But before you send it, you have to stand up in front of a mirror and you have to read it out loud. And if you're comfortable with the letter that you wrote, then send it. If not, rewrite it until you can stand in front of the mirror and be comfortable with what you've written down. And it's an exercise. It's, it's a family exercise. And what it does is your first initial letter is anger, disappointment. Um, it's, it's just all those emotions fear. that, yeah, it's fear. It's all those emotions that are ugly. Um, they're honest, but they're ugly. And as they're not you, helpful. Correct. <laughs> right? Correct. Right. And as you continue to rewrite that letter, the end letter really is how deep down you really and truly feel. And it's a release for those, those families. It's a, it's a release of emotions and, you know, you got to keep writing those letters and, you know, don't climb up that mountain just because your loved one's climbing up that mountain and they're, they're screaming up that mountain. You don't have to scream up that mountain either because there's a really good chance that they're going to roll right back down. Yeah. And even more yeah. powerful than, than, act- than actually writing can be speaking. They, there's so, many, so much research on how um, you take the power out of something when you take your thought and, you can, and someone witnesses your pain or your frustration or your love. You know, there's, all, there's so much to putting it out in the universe that takes the power out of it, that takes it away so you can actually, okay, you can breathe. And just much like the letters then, okay, after you've, discussed it with somebody else, then you can take that information and go to the person you want to discuss these things with and, and, and save it in a, in a way that's not so abrasive or that actually helps you resolve the issue rather than exacerbate. Right. It makes you feel good. You know, it makes you feel like you have been open and honest and, and, you know, and to the end. Um, so when I, I was married previously, um, and I had two kids and he was a cop. <laughs> Not that that matters, but he was a cop and he cheated on me. And I was raised with morals and values, uh, old school, you know, good family, sit around the table every night, everything that I did with my kids, you know, but I started drinking a lot after he started cheating uh, on me. And my so-called friends, you know, I lived on Nantucket at the time. So everybody knew everybody's business. Like if you went out to eat, we, everybody knew where you went out to eat because there wasn't 50 million restaurants. It wasn't another town. And, you know, I was saddled with these two little kids. Um, and I, um, I sat in my car one day with my two kids because I was so angry and I was so lost, uh, contemplating taking our lives. And a good friend of mine who happened to be a dispatcher, you know, sat with me on the telephone. She knew where I lived. She, she could have sent, you know, it could have gotten a whole lot worse um, than it was. But what healed me and allowed me to move on was writing letters to him because he didn't want to hear what I had to say. 
I mean, I never really mailed the letters. Periodically, I'd mail the letters, but I never mailed the letters. But it healed me to get it off of my chest. It healed me to, to be okay with the choices that I made and to know that he cheated on me. I didn't cheat on him, you know, and, and, and now uh, I'm married. I'm about to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Yay. I know in July. Yay. Congratulations and, and happy anniversary. Know, <laughs> I know it's a big anniversary. Who would have thought 25 Huge. years on um, but it was just a lesson that like in the moment, it didn't do anything for me. But as life progressed, it had kind of laid that foundation. And I love hearing stories of people in recovery and how far and how hard they worked. You guys forget how hard you've worked. You're always going, it's, it's your addict brain. You're always going for that next big thing. But sometimes you forget how hard you had to work to get to where you are. It's an right. ongoing process, whether you're in recovery or not, because I'm going to tell you, because people say, are you in recovery? No, I'm on a journey. I'm recovering. <laughs> you from are on things. a journey. I'm, right. I'm, on, I'm recovering from other things. On, I mean, honest everybody God, has something, right, Andy? I mean, everybody right? has something. If you tell me I have it all figured out, you're lying. On, honest <laughs> to God, you're lying because... Swear. Nobody, nobody has it all figured out and it is a constant work in progress. Right. Yeah. They're probably the most, the most confused. <laughs> if they exactly. Yeah. Um, I was going to add a quick point. Um, you know, Carrie Fisher dropping celebrity names, Carrie Fisher, before she died, she did a stand up and she said being bitter or having anger is like drinking cyanide and expect the other person to get sick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, like get rid of it, right? Write it down, get rid of it. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you get into a place I've done this in my own life. You almost get to a place where you're almost self confident enough, or you have enough confidence to be able to have a real discussion with the person, you know, with your family or, or whatever, get it, getting to that point. Yeah. We actually practice that. It's so funny in the house. We go, listen, you're in a safe space. Let's have you practice the things that you, you know, resentments build up all the time, especially women living in close, you know, contact with one another. It happens all the time. So let's practice when you, I feel, you know what I mean? Get, get right. comfortable and confident in, in discussing what it is you need to say and taking care of yourself. It's a huge part of recovery because most it, of us don't, we don't even go there. We'll just that's, how you have a, <laughs> that's how you have honest relationships too, by, by yeah, having anyway. those real life com conversations, not, you know, oh yeah, 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 it's all good. And then you're like, you know, I start writing write. notes, start yeah. writing being a note writer because you're so yeah. pissed off and you can't actually um, address the face the person. So you kind of either. But blow then it there's off. that other kind of person that is so honest that they're in mm. denial, right? You mean like they're yeah. um, like no filter? It's not they even that there's no filter. It's just that. They're just, it's almost like they're fake honest. Do you know what I mean? Like emotionally I, dishonest. Yeah. You know, like my life is all butterflies and I feel good about everything and I'm this and that, but deep down inside, they're not content, but they still, not. every day they get up and they're smiling and it's like, there's that dark side and it's like, they're running from whatever it is that they're running from well, it doesn't right. make any sense but like, do you know what I mean haven't... like they come off all wow they you know that person's got their bleep together and and then you step inside their world and it's like their world's really not that together the you grand know? illusion like sticks there's another sticks bro thing like the person next door you don't know yeah, them you never know you never you know. don't know you don't know them and and really to compare yourself to them Comparing is the worst. They, yeah, they talk about that meetings too. You've got to look for the similarities, not the differences, you know, because you'll talk yourself right out of continuing to go to meetings. Yeah, you won't be happy. What other ones are there? All right. So are, have we talked about action yet? Not I, yet? I lost track. Okay. So action. Um, definition is taking steps towards change, but hasn't stabilized, wait, but hasn't stabilized in the process. Primary task. Help implement change strategies and learn to eliminate 
potential relapses. So Miss Kimberly, yes, how would you action. do that? How would you help somebody uh, implement action changes? Stage is the best. I love that one because um, one of the girls here that you know, Chris, is is was at that point, and that's when you can say, "Hey, here is all the information." They're ready to receive the information. They're like, "I'm ready to take some action. I'm ready to do something different." So then you say, "Okay, here's all these resources." You know, you get to choose. You get to try them out and choose which one fits for you, which one you like the most, you know, I really, really enjoy yoga. So we're going to put yoga and make that a part of your, of your life because that brings you peace and that brings you happiness. You're ready to make a change. That also helps in your recovery. You know, I, I like smart recovery or refuge recovery over the 12 step meetings. I think I want to go in that route. Okay, great. Let's take you in that route. That's, that's what works for you. So mm -hmm. you're kind of identifying what they can uh, hold on to as they, and, and create their own recovery um, roadmap, if you will. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, and no, it doesn't have, it does, there's no set guidelines, you know, right. there's no set Well, you have to do this in order to get that. And if you do yoga, then you'll get this and so on and so right. forth. It's it, the world is out there for you. Right. You get to pick and choose and it's, you know, in an, in an environment like uh, your place, Kimberly, you allow somebody to, try it. And if they don't like it or they fail at it, they're safe. It's okay. And you know, that's, yeah. The action stage is kind of a fun one. That's where, where the rubber meets the road anyway, is the action, right? Absolutely. Yeah, pretty much. And, and the big thing too, is that you can, you can be in any of these stages. You don't have to start at pre-contemplation. Like you can, you can you you're working at it's kind of like the 12 steps you're at at all these different it's, changes stages is that really because i've i've um i've heard from people in like people who you know i heard the term ready aim fire or ready fire aim so is that is that you know going out of the order is that okay to do i mean what? like you said um have you ever known you're someone all, who's runs before they walk? You know what I mean? Like, I want to get there. And then they, they don't really. Right. Because that creates, because that could create, I'm, I'm sorry to pick apart what you were saying, Chris, but does that, does that um, make you create false expectations? It's like, oh, I want all this action. I'm going to do all this. But you haven't really laid the groundwork in order to get to the place where there's action. You're like skipping steps. Well, yeah. I mean, that's life you know, um, that's to recognize it. And then to say, Hey, you know what, before you get here, there's a few things that we have to go through and we have to kind of get in place. Right. And then, and then, I mean, um, what I'm saying is that you don't have to, uh, you don't have to, you should go through the stages, right? But this is just something that happens. This is basically the stages of changes of our relapse. Got it. Right? Okay. It's not, it's a it's it's called stages of changes. So you have your pre-contemplation, right? You could have recovery, um, and now because you have your um, stimulus check and you've met a girl, and Tommy's mom is allowing you to come and sleep over and have a, a home night, and now you're gonna you've got all these opportunities. So your mind, an addict's mind, says, "Wow, if I can get my night pass from my sober house." My, and my mom's going to let me go out because she trusts me because because I've been doing so good. His mind, your mind, is throwing all those ideas of relapse back into your into your brain. So it could be something that you go through very fast, or it could be something, for instance, I have a young man that was in a program, and um, five of them left the program all together. So how it worked was Would they, they go all, on strike? No. <laughs> they all applied at the same time for unemployment. And they all knew when those uh credit cards or debit cards or whatever they send them were coming in the mail. Okay, so you have your pre-contemplation, you have your planning, your I'm thinking about it, you know. Um, the night before 
they got their 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 cards in the mail the night before you know everything was status quo you know tommy's looking great tommy's doing good tommy's checking in tommy's happy but it was all a facade and they went and they did this whole thing and five of them left together because they had That's money. That's crazy. Yeah, could, and it can also be subconscious too. Like those things can happen in your brain and you're not even really aware. All, all you know is, oh, I feel better. Why? Because that's a familiar feeling. I'm, I know I'm about to go out, you know, and you get excited. What you forget, what we, <laughs> all of us forget is, oh, right. I remember this feeling of, dis- there's, you don't remember the despair. We don't remember <laughs> how horrible it was. We don't remember that. All we remember was the good stuff. I don't know. The brain does that. So, My yeah, dog. He, uh, I was going to add my dog. That's funny. You say that because my dog, she had a a bad accident and now a a week ago and she's really doing much better and she's really, her energy is good. She is wound up ready to go. And our key is, and the vet said, got to keep her calm. You got to keep her because she's going to do more damage to herself. If she forget you know stuff yeah yeah yeah. so we have our job our challenge is to keep her from going you know with the energy and all that stuff not you know she's an animal so she doesn't remember you know she probably doesn't remember the fact that she took this tumble on the tether but to your point it's like don't start getting cocky about that oh i've got this thing mastered and i Therefore, I'm good, so I can handle it. Because right. I know resting I, on your laurels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I know someone who like would constantly, you know, he would um, do do uh, really well, start to put it back together, and then oh, I'm <laughs> skipping steps. I'm going right back to. I am making up for lost time, so I'm going to not follow steps, not follow a process, and jump right back into. Um, you know, this, this, this state. Right. That and that's at. what happens when, when people leave recovery too. Like if they, they think they're going to, if you go right back to your home environment, you know, you've been 30 days in a bubble, that's not enough. You know, they pop you right back into where you came from. You're going right. to relapse. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So you were just talking about maintenance um, and lack of maintenance. So the definition of maintenance is, has achieved, oh my on my glasses has achieved the goals and is working uh, to maintain change. Mm-hmm. Um, primary task: develop new skills for maintaining recovery. So it, it happens all the time, right? It happens. You get two, three, four, five, six, eleven months of recovery, and you become comfortable, and you think you have it. So. If you have a pair of sneakers that you don't tie, you're going to trip, right? You have to tie your shoes every day. Yes. You have to do your work every day. And everybody's work is different. Um, I have a young man, went through the 12 steps uh, at, at Plymouth House, and it was the best thing that ever happened to him. And he's young. Um, he's got a great personality. Uh, and you know, he might've done step one, but he skipped two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 12. And guess what? He relapsed. How much and time did he have, Chris? He had four months, four months. And he's kicking himself because he knew that if he isolated and he stopped hanging around with sober people. He was going to hang around with the wrong people. He knew that if he stopped doing his, you know, daily inventory and his, um, his gratitude list and all those things that you have mm-hmm. to do that worked for him in the morning, he was going to relapse. He knew that if for him personally, if he didn't hand over, you know, the 700 bucks that he gets every week in unemployment to his parents he was going to relapse but his brain convinced him that he could he would be okay so he sits there and lies the problem right he sits (laughs) in detox again beating himself up shame guilt remorse all remorse all those things that you know can hold you captive 
because he didn't do the maintenance. So, you know, right. so we get up and we try again and it's okay. Um, it is okay. But that's why maintenance is important. Like you can't just think about it. If you go put a pair of running shoes on, I mean, Mike can attest to this. If he was to go out running his 10 miles that he does every day uh, and he didn't tie his shoes, he'd have some pretty skin knees. You know, you have to do the maintenance, the simple things, the right. everyday or, things. Right. Or even the stretch. Process. If he doesn't stretch, the it process. is a process. And you have right. to have, that's why the routines of the program ensure that you've got a sponsor, that you have, you know, that you're doing these things. Someone to check up on you. You've got other people in the program who are checking up on you, making sure that those things are part of your life now, not just something that you're doing because you're told to. They're things that you know that are keeping you in that place that, that you want to be. They keep you happy. So yeah. And don't resent those people because <laughs> I, cause I, I found that sometimes people resent that if they're not in a healthy state of mind, they look at you as a babysitter, hmm. um, you know, or someone who is like a substitute teacher, right? I've, I've had this experiences, substitute teacher, babysitter, um, somebody who, who's, making me do this right not because <laughs> i want to do it because you're making me do this yeah that can, that can kind of depend on the, the approach too right like if you come at them like what's wrong with you you can't you can't do this or you know but if you're lovingly coming at them yeah they still can feel that way absolutely uh, yeah i mean that's uh but yeah the process i mean i think is the most important thing again this applies to everybody it's like life can be very mundane sometimes you know, and, and there isn't always action. So, you know, and I don't know. So I think you have to like create a process for yourself and understand that that's what's going to keep you sane or, yeah. or not saying on the right track, because, you know, thinking that there's, uh, you know, things out there that are going to entertain you more. I think that's when people start to, to, you know, the demons start calling. Right. Boredom is bad. Boredom is very bad, especially. For right. Boredom, isolation, isolation. Um, depression, all those things are, are, you know, they're not a good thing. Right. Um, the last stage, uh, reoccurrence, definition, uh, experience a reoccurrence of symptoms, primary task, cope with the consequences and determine what you need to do. That's your basic relapse. <laughs> that is relapse in a, in a nutshell. We, um, I think it's important to note here too that relapse does not have to be a part of recovery. There's a, a school of thought that says, well, if you, you know, you will relapse. You, you won't necessarily relapse. Not if you, you know, do all the, like, like Andy said, you follow the process and you follow the steps. You don't have to relapse. But when, if that happens, um, we, do, we do a process we call the um, relapse autopsy. So we kind of go back and we dissect everything that the occurred. Triggers, up. The, yeah, the everything that, yeah, everything that happened up to the relapse. Where were you? Who were you with? What were you thinking? What did you done? What have you done the, like the prior month? Where did your head go? What happened? So that we can really get a good sense of what went wrong. You, like you said, Chris, cope with the circumstances, cope with the repercussions, learn that it's, you know, try not to engage with the shame. You know, we don't want to be, you're not a bad person because of it, you know? It happens. You have addiction and it happens, but let's move to the good place. So back to where we want to be, you know? So I used to smoke cigarettes for a very, very long time. I smoked for about 18 years. I was, uh, started when I was 18. I smoked till I was, uh, 2003. Um, yeah, I was like a two pack a day. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was two packs and, uh, one day I saw um, a movie with Char I started dating my wife. My wife's like, yeah, I don't really like the smoking, but I didn't want to quit for her. You know, I wanted to quit for me. So I watched the movie monster with Charlize Theron and Christina Ritchie. I was so disgusted by how she smoked to the point where she was smoking it down to the very, to the butt. It was so nasty <clears throat> and she had a long, <laughs> long ash. And I'm like looking at it and I'm like, I'm so sick of this. I'm sick of burning holes in my, 
in my seats and my clothes. I'm sick of smoking it, you know, smelling like smoke. It really became in vogue or, uh, you know, not smoking became in vogue. And, um, and so I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So I decided, all right, I'm going to quit. And I started with Nicorette and I got chewed Nicorette. Um, I wanted it for me, right? I wanted to quit for me. So, um, but I knew that if I go to a bar and I drink, there's a good chance I'm going to want to smoke because that goes together like peanut butter and jelly, Mm -hmm. right? So now, next thing you know, I've started smoking again. I'm drinking and I'm smoking. And I gave, and so I've avoided for the longest time, I avoided even setting foot into a bar, right? Or being around people that smoke. I, I just had to. And over the years, you know, I avoid those situations where I might smoke. Now I've gotten to the point, I don't even think of myself as an old smoker. Like it doesn't even register to me that I'm a smoker, but it's, you know, it's like, oh, every now and again, I'll, I'll sm- see somebody smoking and I'll smell it and it smells good to me, but I just walk away, right? It doesn't, it doesn't bother me because the physical addiction got out of my system. Right. I don't feel the physical addiction and therefore it allowed me to be able to focus on the, the, the mental side of it. Um, and I love, I used to love smoking. I'd be in the car, I'd roll down the windows and smoke a butt, listen to music. It was the greatest. It was my make friend. Those rings. Did you make yeah. those rings inside yeah. the oh, rings, rings inside the rings? No, I couldn't do it. I, 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 never, <laughs> I never knew. I never knew how to do it. I and I and I love the people who smoke and blow it out of their nose. I couldn't nose do that either. <laughs> right? It's like I Chris for whatever. Yes, Chris for whatever reason, I just can't see Andy like ripping a no. heater in the car. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, I was a big smoker for a long, for a long time. I swear, and it was like, but you know what I did. I went back to who I used to be before I started smoking. I started looking at myself. I was never, I never liked smoking. I never wanted to be, I never wanted to be a, um, I never wanted to be that guy. I only smoked because like we had a smoking area in school and I only smoked because everybody else smoked. I didn't smoke because like, I never got like, I never was like, oh my God, I got to go have a cigarette. It was, I just smoked because it was what everybody else was doing. Right. <laughs> right. But it, but it's a weird thing because the physical, because there's the physical and there's the mental and people yeah. say, if you could quit smoking, it's harder than quitting heroin is quitting smoking. It is. <laughs> I've tried to quit, but I've tried to quit multiple. I had tried to quit multiple yeah. times and I wasn't ready. I didn't have the desire to, to do it yet. It wasn't. Things were not in place for me to do it. Right. And everybody gets their, their own way, right? Like everyone has to get there their own way. Right. It, it, like you can't go through a certain, uh, necessarily have this, this model laid out. Doesn't one size doesn't fit all. You got to get there. However you get there. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree right. with you, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, um, but it was avoiding the, you know, like we, I would, I remember going on road trips with friends and, um, you know, and they, they were all smokers and, um, I, I, I smoked a cigar. I've smoked cigars, but I've never gone back to the cigarettes. I, I mean, I, I just never, I haven't had a, I haven't had a drag. I haven't since 2003. Right. I love since the th- smell of cigars and every now and again, I'll take a, a drag off of one. And it's like, it's like, Smoking a cotton ball, it's so thick and <laughs> it's yucky. nasty, right? It's na- yeah, I had, bad. yeah, it's nasty. I mean, it was it never funny. tastes I had like a- it smells, you know? No, no, it tastes like poo. It's nasty. I tried to, you know, what's funny? I tried a beer the other night, and uh, oh, I, I don't a beer, a beer, and it was actually a non alcoholic beer just because I, you know, alcohol doesn't, I don't, yeah, the zero. I poured it out. I had three <laughs> steps. I poured it out. I'm like, I don't gross. like the taste. Yeah. I just don't even. Especially like the Heineken I, one. Heineken I've is got, like skunk. That's yeah, but for yes. you, it's disgusting. But here's the thing. Over time, my taste changed. And because I stayed away from it. So, uh, you know, like I don't, I'm not a regular drinker. So I don't like it. The taste changed. 
And I think over time, I think you start to like, you know, working a process or working and, and, and staying away from stuff. You know, I think you start to like say, I don't really need it in my life. Point blank. Like, I don't. You do it because become, of peer pressure. Like you, you drink because that's what everybody else is, does. And you want to feel it. You want to fit in. Um, right. I mean, you know, for an addict, an addict typically somebody who uses something like opioids or um, even alcohol, um, they are 99.9% of the time, they do it because they are suppressing something that happened, uh, you know, something traumatic. Um, Other times you have, you know, innocent kids that you know, they, they started off with drinking a few beers because that's what everybody did. And then they smoked a, a, a joint because that's what everybody did. And then somebody introduced something like cocaine and that's what everybody did. And then, you know, they're given the heroin. And for whatever reason, you know, the heroin is something that, you know, maybe previously they were able to put all that other stuff down. They were able to, you know, go until Saturday you know, when again, right. he was doing it. But when you put heroin into your veins, it's something that will not let you go. It's something that grabs hold on you and game yeah. over game set match at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's, or, it's, or they take or they get it. And like I've heard in many, uh, many speakers say, or they get a taste of it and they go, Oh, my God, this is what I've been looking for. Whether it's right. alcohol or something that it takes that mm-hmm that edge mm-hmm. off that pain away. So even if they didn't know they were suppressing something or they, they didn't even know they had PTSD, suddenly they feel okay again and they can um, talk to the people. And it's really social, you know, it allows yeah. them to be social. And, yeah. yeah and I, I, you know, being a child of the eighties, you know, um, I would see, you know, cocaine was the big thing in the eighties, right? Everybody, I was scared to death of cocaine. I was scared to death. So I never tried cocaine. I never tried anything except I smoked pot, but I never tried anything because I was so scared between the public service announcements because of my mom. Um, it worked. <laughs> it worked. I was scared to death, scared to death. And I was like, oh my God, they're bad. People who use cocaine are bad. I don't want to be around them. Oh my God. Right. For whatever reason, I stayed away from it, but I was scared not to do it you know because i i just it wasn't me i i had done it multiple times and i didn't know at the time that i had a bleeding disorder (laughs) so i do it oh my and then my nose would bleed and i couldn't get the nose to stop bleeding like the first couple times i was able to but then when i did it like if it was a long weekend or whatever and i did it a lot i couldn't get my nose to stop bleeding and i'd have to go to the hospital and I was in college. So I'd go to the hospital and they'd be like, they'd pack my nose and off I'd go. But when you go twice in a night or four times in a weekend mm. and they're like, uh, you need to stop doing this because you've destroyed your nose and you know, we don't know why you won't stop bleeding. I mean, like it was, I was like, oh, all right. So I'll just stop doing it. You know, like I was just, I was lucky. I was really lucky. Did I not love what it, the feeling that it gave me? Absolutely. Like it's, right. it's a, absolutely. But it, it wasn't something that I was, I obsessed about. What I obsessed about was my nose not bleeding. Right. You know, you also don't have that gene either. <laughs> that, right. that one right. the addiction thing. So, yeah. Right. So Chris, did we go through all the stages of change? We did. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Good topic. Good topic. Very good topic. Very good yeah. topic. Um, we could ramble for hours. You we could. Three of us. Uh, it's like. <laughs> yeah. just We could go on we and can, on. We can riff. Yes, we can. But it's, we've allotted. Uh, we've had our allotted hour. So I think we should probably wrap up now. Our session's going to end now. Yes. We're, we're running to, out of time. We're, we're we running out of time. Friday? Do we have a guest for Friday? Uh, we got to find one. Oh, all right. We'll if you want to be posted. a guest, reach out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah. So that's our show for today. So listen, please always feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. No, uh, the- no, you can reach out to me. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just accepting Andy. Um, the map 2020. Uh, you can also email us uh, at the map podcast 20 at gmail.com. 
um, and check the show notes for um, other contact information, ways to get a hold of us. So thank you everyone for your support of our mission and we will see you again on Friday, Friday, 9.30 a.m. Have a great weekend. Everybody, see see everybody. Days. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.